Welcome once again into Inside LAFC Podcast. I am Max Bretos. Glad to have you on board once again. As always, a gentle reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. We have a big date ahead. Sunday, November the 26th, MLS Cup Conference Semifinals. The Seattle Sounders host LAFC up at Lumen Field. I am excited. The neutrals are excited. Sounders, LAFC fans are excited. Broadcasters, owners, this is going to be huge. I hope you're excited as well. And to help you get the flames up and ready for that excitement level, we have a great show ahead. We will be joined by Apple TV MLS Season Pass broadcaster, my partner in the booth, Brian Dunseth. Called a lot of Sounders games, called a lot of LAFC games. We'll preview the matchup. We'll talk about the rivalry and let you know why it's going to be as big as we anticipate. Then we'll be joined by Ante Razov, LAFC assistant coach. He's been there since the beginning under Bob Bradley and now under Steve Chirundolo. We'll talk about how the club has grown and how he is expecting that game coming up against the Sounders. It's Inside LAFC Podcast, and it starts right now. We are here on Inside LAFC Podcast. It is my distinct honor to introduce someone that I have spent more time with than anyone, I think, in 2023. You would think I wouldn't want to bring him back, but that you'd be wrong, because Brian Dunseth is always welcome here at the doorsteps of the Inside LAFC Podcast. Good to see you again, Dunny. Bretos, I appreciate you, man. For us to be together for what, I think, 47 of the 49 games we called for Apple TV and MLS this season. Um, I could not be more fortunate to be teamed up with uh, not only someone I respect as a colleague, and you did my very first national broadcast, Fox Soccer. It was David Beckham, LAFC, or LA Galaxy on the road, Hong Kong 11. It was like a 4.30 in the morning wake-up call, uh, but also to be able to call you a friend over the years. You were uh, instrumental in my transition from a playing career into a broadcast career and whatever, 17 years later. Um, I, I'm, I'm still so fortunate that I get to hang out with you on a weekly basis. Oh, I don't know what to say. That's uh, that's lovely. I would say the check is in the mail, but uh, that's <laughs> Venmo. It's Venmo. just Venmo nowadays. Yeah, you're right. I, it's, by the way, let's play a little game. I'll give you $1,000 cash oh. for every member of the Hong Kong 11 you can mention right now. Go. <laughs> uh, they had a number 10 who was the captain that's the only thing i can remember out of that i can't game. there's other that. things i remember around that game which you should probably pay me a thousand dollars cold cash for to not bring up i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> all right all right carrying along uh we had fun back then we have fun uh, now and of course brian Dunseth, part of the apple tv crew that you can tune in make sure you get mls season pass especially for these playoff games and brian and i have called a lot of lfc games but we've also called uh several Sounders games, including the playoff series with FC Dallas. So I wanted to bring him in so we can give the intel about what awaits LAFC in this massive matchup coming up on Sunday, November the 26th game. You can see on Apple TV. And uh, before we get there, uh, one of the big topics, uh, talking points, no doubt about it, has been the playoff format. So these two teams had to get through the conference quarterfinals. It's going to change as it'll be a single game in the conference semis, winner takes all, extra time now instead of going straight to penalties, conference finals, and then MLS Cup. So this is, I mean, I had fun up till now, but this is going to be the real fun part. But LAFC getting by 
in two games against the Whitecaps. So they got to watch the Sounders who had to grind it out in three games. How did you see the path of these two clubs that we, I think most people expected to meet in this next round? Yeah, but by the way, um, I think you've called me Brian more times during this podcast than you've called me in my entire life. Uh, twice. Uh, so, yeah, it's so weird to hear you call me Brian when you've been calling me Dunny for the last 20 years. Um, yeah, listen, I, I love the format. I mean, I, I think the format has been incredible. And, and it goes back to even decision day for you and I in St. Louis. Um, you know, St. Louis, top of the Western Conference, they had already clinched their spot as the elite over the regular season. And we're coming off a heavy loss against Vancouver on the road. They were at home against Seattle and Seattle blew their doors off. And we were talking about, you know, we do this thing as broadcasters, right? Where we have narratives or we're trying to arc narratives and storylines. And one of the things I remember you and I were saying were, you know, there's, there's still a lot to play for. And people were like, what are you talking about, bro? And we're like, no, listen, second place is still valuable right now. Like, don't, don't take your eyes off the ball. You know, if, if Seattle comes in and wins in, C- in St. Louis, they could lock up second place. And what does that mean? If God forbid something happens to St. Louis in the playoffs, all of a sudden, you know, Seattle's going to have the advantage of hosting throughout the rest of Western Conference playoffs. Should they and, make here that and here <laughs> we are. And here we are. So, um, yeah, listen, I, I think what we learned for Seattle is that as much history and relevance uh, and equity that they have in the playoffs, this is a different team. Right. It's a CONCACAF Champions League winner last year and they miss out on the playoffs this year. It's the inevitable one more year on the legs of Raul Ruiz Diaz and Nico Ladero. And Brian Smetzer and company have tr- figured out a way to still keep them for the most part, really in tune to what the season looks like, but impact players off the bench. And he's got this really interesting mixture of established veterans and really dynamic young um, I think exceptionally talented homegrown players that they figured out the magic formula. Um, and at home, they are very, very good. So you put it into context, what is it? One loss in the last 13 matches. They were turning losses into draws, draws into wins. They're not blowing doors off the way LAFC does, but they're really in control. And when you talk about Jackson Reagan, you talk about Yamar and you talk about Stefan Fry, what 35 starts between the three this season. Really impressive. It's been impressive to watch, and this is going to be a very tough opponent to crack. And I love what you said about decision day. And, you know, I know LAFC fans were hoping that Dallas would beat Seattle so they could be at BMO Stadium, and obviously that's the best path to success. LAFC experienced that last year. But there is something about playing up there that is so important to the growth of LAFC that there's a great opportunity that may not it may not work out they may not win but for the sex successes that they have had if they go up to Lumen Field which is going to be bopping and they they get the result and exact revenge on Seattle this would be a huge chapter for the black and gold and I want to see if you agree with me because I've been laying it pretty thick with the LAFC supporters that I've been talking to and telling him how big this matchup is. And how it is almost like a Mount Rushmore playoff game. You know, notwithstanding MLS Cups, all the other playoffs, you could kind of put it there in one of the five to ten best in anticipation just because of the success they've had. LAFC is the reigning champ. Seattle was the champ in 2019 and 2016, got to a 2020 final. They won the CONCACAF Champions League in 21. LAFC got to the final in 22 and 20. 
the two most successful teams since LAFC came into the league, really. And here they are. And then you have that added layer of some revenge for LAFC because Seattle knocked them out in the 2019, famously in 2020. Am I going crazy and saying how big this matchup is in advance? It may not be a classic after the 90 minutes, but in advance, it should have that kind of weight. I, I would 100% agree with you. And I think in the Western Conference, we're going to be talking about FC Cincinnati and Philadelphia, but that's more because they're intertwined with head coaches and general managers, formerly a part of what Philly had done so well. I think that's, you know, that Eastern Conference matchup is not as sexy, but as important, as pertinent on the Eastern Conference as what we're talking about. I, I just think when you're talking about the style of play, and, and maybe that's it, it's because we're so hyper-focused more on the West Coast this season for you and I covering so many teams and watching so many games. I, I just think there could – if you said conference semi, which it is, no problem. If you said conference final, which we, we kind of expect these two, I don't, and I don't know if it's ingrained because of history, but I, I, I almost do expect this to be a conference final. And in an odd way, I think had the schedule not been so hellacious for Stevie Trondolo's side – they would be the team that was looking down on everyone else from the top spot in the Western Conference. But so many games and so many competitions and so many finals. Uh, and so they're battle-tested, and yet they're having to look up and having to go, as you said, on the road to Seattle, where it's a different element. It's home field advantage, the artificial surface, ball. It plays things around just a little bit differently. Um, but, yeah, in, in terms of uh, – you're not putting lipstick on a pig on this one. This is this sexiest matchup. Uh, when you're talking about style of play, and, I, and you know this, you get sick of me saying this, it's the eyeball test. The visual markers of what a potential playoff game looks like, there's nothing more that you could ask for when you're talking about LAFC on the road at Seattle in a conference semifinal. It's great for the league. And look, since Philadelphia excites me, Philadelphia, you put on that that level, the Sounders and LAC, but they haven't won anything. They've just come close, so they don't have that clout. And then uh, Orlando Columbus is going to be great. It's just we don't have a history there. Yeah. And I think the same with sporting in Houston. So uh, the league gravitates towards these matchups. It's, you know, Yankees and Red Sox. To, you know, I mean, yeah. I don't want to – it's not apples no, apples. I get what you're saying, too. But right. I mean, so this is important, obviously, for the two fan bases, the two clubs, but also uh, for the folks at MLS because they yeah. want the neutrals. And there's an opportunity here. Uh, the rivalry aspect, I mean, this isn't the Galaxy. I would say it's not the Portland Timbers either for LAFC. But I think if you ask most people that witnessed the 2019 final, that's a bruise that hasn't gone away. And it may not even if they exact revenge in 2023 because of the historic season that LAFC had. Everything was poised. All they needed to do was get over that hump in 2019. And Seattle went on to win MLS Cup. And LAFC probably thinks that could have been the moment. It wasn't. Sports. This is, I think it's certainly a rivalry because of that history, but also because of the things we talked about, about their shared success. And whether people want to hear this or not, the Sounders are a club you kind of want to replicate in many ways. And we'll get to other topics. So is the rivalry factor, does that give it that extra oomph in your estimation? You know, it's funny because we 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 usually talk about locale, right, in, in the rivalry conversation. Um, you know, out here in Salt Lake City, obviously – Real Salt Lake, Colorado Rapids, Rocky Mountain Cup, and all that stuff. But it's not a rivalry. I mean, for Real Salt Lake, it's been utter dominance for the better part of 15 years. They they don't see it as a rival. 
because rivals, you, you create rivals with competition, right? Like those moments where you're just like sticking people, getting fired up, you know, those, those confrontational sparking a fire moments. Um, and, and listen, I, I, I go back to <clears throat> the histrionics of LAFC and laying down the watermarker of, oh, ish, LAFC is good. And that was that first road trip in the expansion season when they went to Seattle they smashed them. It wasn't a smash and grab. It was full dominant, you know, 90 minute performance. And that, and that was also, <clears throat> I think the first time, you know, the marker was, 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 um, was there with the supporters and traveling and 3252 and LAFC. And uh, I think the, and I'll do respect to every other club, the traveling support is the best in the league. It is the loudest. It is the most boisterous. I mean, you talk about fan culture. When LAFC travels, you know LAFC is traveling. Um, so I expect that upper tier just to be complete black and gold. And it's going to have its own element to the atmosphere, which is already going to be an incredible atmosphere at Lumen Field. You and I have been there for th- th- two of the last three games that we've called. It's extraordinary. Um, and it's different. And that's fine. Um, it's different than BMO Stadium. So, yeah, I, I just think that there's – there's rivalries that are created based on, yeah, history, based on locale. But this is, I don't know, man. I always rub my fingers together when I try to explain something that's unexplainable. And I think that's what, there, there's something just a little bit more special uh, with these two matching up. And you and I, literally, you called it. I remember we were in Seattle and you called it. And you're like, dude, this place after Thanksgiving is going to be a cauldron when LAFC shows up. And I was like, oh, there goes Bredos again. And sure enough, T.O. Max, he called it. That's my yeah. nickname on the road, T.O. Max. Well, we, uh, we, we've we got a couple of nicknames, but T.O. Max is the most T.O. Max for now. For yes. Yeah, T.O. Max. Don't listen me. to this guy. But yeah, <laughs> but do listen to him. And look, we, we call those games the lower bowl at Lumen Field. We we saw that Seattle Dallas was 33,000, 34,000. Yeah. And if they open the – I know a lot of supporters going up there, and this is an event – and Seattle's relatively close. I'm going to have to get my room at the Edgewater if I want to go up Sunday. Good luck. I know. But it's going <laughs> to be a lot of black and gold. They travel, but this is the postseason. Yeah. So this is a, it's going to add a good number, whether it's a, a, a thousand or 1500. I think you're going to get there and then maybe a few other. And it's going to, it's going to illuminate the Seattle fan base too, which is also, you know, remember they didn't make the playoffs. So they are looking to get in here as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the game. Um, before I get in the preview, there was a topic that applies to LAFC here that I thought you had a really good spin on, and we've talked about it with Sounders. And we spoke to their coach, Brian Schmetzer, about the the fact that they, they are elite with homegrown. So academy homegrown players, you have FC Dallas, Philadelphia, and then Seattle. The, what se- separates Seattle is they don't sell their homegrowns, and he says that as much. He goes, they are part of it. And maybe LAFC, when this academy and MLS Next Pro and LAFC 2 starts to churn, you will see two, three local guys that play important roles. LAFC is not there yet. It took Seattle a while. But the older guard, Jordan Morris, and then guys like uh, Josh Atencio and Obed Vargas, there's like 12 guys with Washington State ties there. And they play yeah. big roles. And that's without that, Seattle's not here. Um, this is a unique circumstance but something that i think a lot of clubs have to look at how seattle does it say we could probably do that especially in la 
listen, I'm a kid from Upland, California, right? I mean, I grew up, I went to Fullerton. Um, I, I grew up playing in the club soccer scene in Southern California. And there are so, I mean, the talent is off the charts. Talent's off the charts. I, I mean, it is off the charts in Southern California. And I think the continued evolution of now taking off the training wheels in terms of the scouting networks and creating the academies where you're not just stuck in the 909 or you're not stuck in 818. Like you're not sharing the same area that LA galaxy is. You can go all over the world. And I think that's going to be part of the evolution. And and I think it's important sometimes because while you and LAFC supporters are really like, you know, fingers deep into this identity of what LAFC is, you're still in the infancy. I mean, this is for as much success that this club has had and John Thorrington and everyone behind the scenes has done an extraordinary job. Ownership has provided an incredible amount of money. There's a structure and there has been a structure from day one, but to build not only the product on the field that we're going to be talking about between Seattle and LAFC, you really think about how deep the veins have to go to create something from the ground up. And I can remember talking to John Thorrington and asking, well, what level of the academy are you going to start with? And he said, I'm going to start with an under-12 team. And the under-12 team that has now grown into a Nathan Ordaz or a Dwayne Yas or, uh, you know, you're just, you're starting to see really elite level teenage talent break into one of the most difficult teams in Major League Soccer to break into. And, And not just earn a contract, to earn playing time i mean think about this for a second when you step back and you're in because it's fascinating right like i watch what's happening at real salt lake and i've got my own opinion on what's happening and and where certain things i think could be better but as i kind of look around and i'll talk about seattle in a second but when i see what lafc is doing man in five more years forget about it forget about it. it it just takes time the club is still in its infancy um, so when we're talking about kind of the backside, the youth, the trickle down all the way to the bottom, because remember, it wasn't too long ago when guys had to get in a car and drive up to L.A., uh, excuse me, to Las Vegas to go play a singular game and drive back. And that was that was the infrastructure. Tons it's, of progress. Yeah. Yeah. So Seattle, Reed Baker Whiting, Jackson Reagan, Atencio, Obed Vargas, uh, Christian Roldan, Alex Roldan, Jordan Morris. Um, you sprinkled those players around a Leo Chu, an Albert Rusnak, a Joao Paulo, a Yamar, um, you know, a Nuhu, a Stefan Fry. You, you can under, and, and it was funny, the guy who actually brought this up was Precky. We were getting a coffee in Seattle. We ran into Breck, and Preck's like, hey, Bobby, what are you doing? Hey. And then next thing you know, he's talking about this, and we're like, oh, wow. Like, you almost forget how well they've done in terms of. Oh, yeah. Not not you just do. leading guys, but like playing guys, like really playing guys. So, yeah, I, I think as much as we talk about models and trying to be other people and look at New York Rebels, literally today announcing Troy Lesnar and, and Troy Lesane and Dennis Hamlet and a new reset and a new vision. Um, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of clubs that are doing things really really well, and I think LAFC is continuing to prove top to bottom that that's kind of the directional path where they want to be amongst the elite, if not the elite major league soccer. Good local spin there, uh, Dunny. Uh, uh, Christian and Alex rolled on from Pico Rivera, but they both went to school in Washington state. So they yeah. fall under the Sounders umbrella. And by the way, you from Upland, how about uh, Rancho Cucamonga, CJ Stroud, uh, 
for the Houston Texans from your yeah. neck of the woods. Might be the NFL MVP. Nine oh nine, baby. Nine oh nine's got him. We we produce that. Hey, whoever's there, whoever's in the nine oh nine, we're here for you too. And make sure you're wearing your black <laughs> and gold because we got we need you to rep out there as well. Let's preview the game a little bit. I want to give credit to uh, Michael McKnight, who uh, is on our staff here. He, he gave me this little nugget about the, you know, an expected goal and analytics doesn't quite work in soccer. I know as it works in baseball or other sports, but this one kind of hit pretty hard. And there's the expected goal difference, which means teams that create the most quality opportunities and prevent the fewest have that best number. And the top two are Seattle and LAFC. So when you look at the data, it speaks very strongly on their behalf. And then not only that they're both very good defensive teams, but they are, uh, they're they both playing very good defense. Now we saw Seattle, they put a blanket on Dallas in that game three and LAFC similar. They allowed a couple of goals to the white caps, but down the stretch, very good defensively. Maxine Crapo. Yeah. I mean, these are two parts to me that, um, certainly, uh, will play a role in this. How, how do you see that matchup and where, where are the advantages for LAFC or the Sounders? You know, it's funny, Max, I, I, you and I, when we get our schedule, um, we would, you and I would like start texting each other like, oh my God, what a great game. Oh my God, what did we do wrong? Like, why are we being punished? <laughs> we <do this> thing. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the times when we were- Don't, say that. Excited, Don't say that matchup. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'm saying like a lot of the times it, it had to do with the style of play, right? It had to do with how much fun it was to call certain teams. And I think like- not to give too much away, but anytime that you and I got an LAFC game and we got a Seattle game, um, we knew we were in for a great game. We, we knew we were in for a great game. We knew we were in for two teams that they're, they're, they were authentic with their game model. With the way Stevie Trundolo sets his team up to play, it's very identifiable. Even when they were going through that tough stretch of matches where they weren't scoring goals, but they were creating an unbelievable amount of chances. Remember, it wasn't too long ago that they lost at home against Real Salt Lake, and everyone was like, that's four games in a row. Denny Bowonga hasn't scored, bro. What's going on? Uh, and, you know, you is that, is, that, is of- that a 909 accent right there? I don't know. Maybe it's more like a 951 <laughs> accent uh, with a skin sticker on the truck on the, on the 10 freeway. Um, but, you know, they're very specific. That's a very neat. Yeah. You know, don't right say there. 10 freeway, man. It's been gnarly out here. Oh, I know. Um, but not that part life, of the 10, not that part. How, of the 10. how much of your life have you sat on the 10 freeway or the 405? <laughs> um, but, but then it was like, you know, you look at Smets and Brian Smetzer and how he wants to play. So the, I've got so much respect for both of these managers um, and, and, and not for nothing, you know, a side note, there's a lot of job opportunities open. And when you look at these two coaching staffs, you know, when, when you, when, when you think about Precky uh, being on that staff, when you think about, Ante Razov being on the staff. When you think about Mark Dos Santos being on the staff, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of Freddie Juarez already a head coach for Real Salt Lake as well. There's a lot of experience on this staff. So uh, the implementation of how these guys want to play, especially in the final third, I think that's, that's the most fun. And defensively, man, y- y- you think about Mario Chiellini long, that trifecta to choose from. You think about Reagan and Yamar, what they've done in front of Stefan Fry. I think it comes down to marginal moments, you know, like, but by the way, I think think about tactically how you're going to play with both these guys. Both are super comfortable playing in low blocks. Both are super comfortable in high press. Both are super comfortable in slow methodical buildup. Both are super comfortable in very direct up and over the top. Um, I mean, I, 
am, am I the only one salivating at the idea of Danny Bowanga, uh, you know, going at Alex Roldan? Am I the only one that's thinking about, well, h- hold on a second. What does this look like when Nuhu Tolo gets forward and Kiki Oliveira can blow his doors off going the opposite way? I mean, that battle in the midfield, by the way, think about those crunching tackles that Bogus getting stuck in with Joao Paulo, uh, Chiellini, the master of the dark arts. Like, I, I'm just, it's going to be such, and what Vela can do, what Nico Lodero, Raul Ruiz Diaz coming off the bench can do. I, I, again, I think it's it's the sexiest matchup in the conference semifinals. It's the one that if you said, this is an MLS Cup final, the eyeballs, that would be like, oh, ish, I got to turn this on. It's Seattle LAFC in a final. Like, this is must-see television. I, dude, I'm so – it's not even my teams I'm so pumped to watch this game. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we need to hear. And there's a lot of other things at play. It's crazy. It's one game. There will be extra time. There was an extra time in the round of three. Maybe one of these teams will be wishing there's a second game because Changes of the mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be amplified. And remember also this international date that we're in. And I, I, I co-sign MLS breaking for the international date. LAFC has a lot of key players away. Uh, many MLS clubs have that situation and you want your best team and they're, they're, they're observing it and there's got to be patient, but the whole world is stopping to play uh, at this moment. So that's going to be another element too. I don't know who that favors, but I know LFC hasn't played and will, will not have played in three weeks. Sounders two weeks and a day or so, but both long times, but that, that really obviously throws uh, it into the coaches ranks and two Coaches that have done this and been successful with long yeah. rest or short rest. Yeah. I mean, e- even the, we, I think you and I have done, was it, it's actually three windows where we did the return to play with Seattle off the backside of an international window. And Nuhu Tolo didn't start any of those games because of the complication of his travel coming back from Cameroon in international duty. And Reed Baker Whiting started all those games. Uh, in the midst of Obed Vargas going away with the U.S. under-23s. And when he came back, he lost his place to Josh Atencio. So there is a cause and effect. In a, and I'd be interested at some point to hear from, you know, Ante or Mark or Stevie Trundolo about the amount of time. Because it, it's, yes, there's the positivity of rest and relaxation, recuperation, but still intense focus. And how do you, as a coaching staff, create moments that is high-intensity, high-intensity but not redline people to the point where someone's going to get injured in a stupid tackle or a stupid challenge. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes back to even a few years ago, you know, the long breaks that were New England Revolution and Colorado Rapids for winning top of the West, top of the East, respectively, and they were both bounced in their very first game of the playoffs because there was too much time in between games. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't even know how to make an argument to verbalize either positively or negatively if it was better to win in two games or stretch it to three just to get another game in the belt. Best of five, best of seven. Let's no, go seven. Yeah. Good, good for our game rate. Not far-fetched. I know. <laughs> More games for us, the broadcasters. Dunny, uh, everyone's going to be as excited as you are for this and as I am. Uh, I think you, you painted an incredible picture. Uh, and as always, thanks for joining us. I know I'll be speaking to you very soon. And getting ready for the rest of these playoffs, which are going to be great. Highlighted by this one up in Seattle on the 26th. I appreciate you, my man. Thank you. Brian Dunst at Apple TV. You can also hear him on Sirius XM on counterattack. Check out the local listing Sirius XM FC for all the latest.
Much more Inside LAFC coming your way when we return. Assistant coach Ante Razov joins the show. We'll get ready for a bit more of a preview of the Sounders game and what the season has been like. This is Inside LAFC podcast coming your way. Welcome back to Inside LAFC podcast. A guest we've wanted for a long time. And here he is in the flesh sporting. If you're if you're listening, you won't be able to enjoy the the incredible facial hair that Ante Razov is sporting, but a <laughs> a true LAFC original from the beginning and with LA roots. Ante, thanks for joining us. You must be elated. Thanks for having me, Max. Yes, completely <laughs> stoked. Uh, I, with a, you, you were in Fontana High School. You went to UCLA, working with LAFC, proper uh, Angelino. Um, how, I just when you saw, when this opportunity came up, um, what did it mean to you? Um, it was a, it was an interesting time. I just actually left Seattle to go to the galaxy. Um, and I always had this idea that LAFC was coming. Uh, and this is without any, I didn't have any guarantees or conversations, uh, but I just had a feeling I knew it was going to work out. Uh, and I would be at LAFC. No, literally I had no gold in the bag that was going to give me a job here, but I just, had a feeling it was going to work out. I, I covered you as a player, a decorated player uh, at every level, national team, uh, at the club level, uh, a, a pioneer certainly in MLS. But is coaching something that was always on your radar? Or how how soon did that become something? Uh, absolutely not. Um, you know, it took me a few years after I retired to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to step away for a couple of years. And I think that third year, I kind of like got the itch uh, to kind of come back to the game. Uh, and so I started in the Academy coaching kids, which I would, uh, tell people recommend to to do that first before you jump in with the, uh, the olders. Um, it was a great experience and it actually reignited the fire that I had. I was going to ask you about the kids, but uh, you brought it up. So maybe it's a good time to do it because then obviously, uh, the developing of the players in Los Angeles, you've seen uh, the talent, the quantity of, soccer players in Southern California. When you see, when you see that process of, of, of coaching kids, what, what are, are the messaging you want to convey so that they can make that progress? You've had that opportunity with a bunch of, a, a, a handful of kids as well, certainly this year in the last couple of years, what are those messages that are key for them? I think um, as time has gone on and, and things have changed uh, the way you, you, you can speak to kids and the way you encourage it and motivate them has changed a little bit. I think uh, when we were younger, it was more more hard-hitting, you would say, uh, messaging. I think now you've got to uh, find ways to incentivize kids, uh, but also let them, under, let them know and understand that this is not a free pass. No one is guaranteed a career in professional sports, let alone football. Um, you have to earn it. Um, and there's going to be suffering. And when I say suffering with that, I want to be respectful to like actual suffering around the world. But you've got to, you know, those days of going to the parties with your friends, missing school dances, all the little things that, uh, you know, you kind of become isolated with your team and your players. And these are things that I don't think people are really prepared to do. Um, the one, the ones that on the greatest level you see uh, that make it, it's a commitment and it's a lifestyle. And so, uh, I think these are the uh, the big the big principles that they have to understand before they ever step foot or kick a ball. 
if you're not committed to this, uh, you're probably not going to make it. How, how have you seen the, the de- not just with LAFC, but the developing of these young players, that process um, going from when you were a player to w- what's what's better? What what are we lacking a bit to, to make the transition uh, as good as possible for that next group? Uh, it's hard for me to say what is missing, what is lacking. Uh, I'm not really involved. Uh, with the academy level, um, time has changed and the people have changed. Um, and so when we were kids, we played outside till till it was dark. And then, you know, things were settled in the games on the street or we were, whatever you're doing, playing basketball with your friends and this and this. And I'm not so sure kids do that now. They're very tablet uh, infused um, and want the answers to be given to them. And so, uh, you know, it's more of a uh, scholastic approach, I believe, to teaching. Uh, and so, and that's all fine. I think, uh, you know, there's no magic bullet for uncovering a child uh, and developing into some world-class player. I think, uh, again, otherwise we'd have 7 billion professional athletes. Um, but uh, it's hard work. It's, it's, uh, it's got to be a burning desire within the player, and it's got to be – it's got to be in the right way. You can't just say, well, I'm the best and I never play this, 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 because you run into that a million times and that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, pressure from family, parents. Uh, I believe biggest judgment can be the parents thinking uh, Johnny's number one, Johnny's number one. Yeah. No, Johnny's never going to be a pro player. Like you have to understand this. So a lot of that stuff is all uh, um, a part of the process and, uh, you know, that part uh, I did early on in my career, and I'm actually uh, – I've got my own problems with the older ones now. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Tab Ramos once, and he, I said, hey, when do you know – and I don't know if you can answer this, but I'm just curious. because when do you know you see a player that he has potential? Not that he's going to become a professional, but when you know that they have something that I can help try develop. Um, he said immediately. Is that, uh, is that fair to say, or is there a process where we have to, to see where, where it goes? Well, talent it can be many different things, right? It's the way he moves, is you know, the light footedness. Does he have a natural technical, uh, you know, skill that he's ahead of, of of the group that he's with? You can see something immediately and go, "Oh yeah, I, I see now what they're talking about." But then you dig through the layers of the personality again, the desire and drive, uh, the mentality, the openness to wanting to learn, um, the ability to learn, all these things. Uh, then are the next steps, and again, the uh, the ability to want to grind grind this out because very few go from 16 years old to the first team to stars to national team. That's you're talking the point zero zero percent of the population. You're going to be a great head coach one day, Ante. You and we've seen you develop here uh, with Bob Bradley and Steve Chirundlo, and I know you've soaked it in. And look how good you are with your your media savviness right now. So uh, you you can see the full allotment of skills coming out. I, I just wanted to to talk about the two coaches that you have worked with, and I know it's a very collaborative approach. And and Steve has been very upfront, and Bob is about everyone's got uh, certain roles that they have to fill. But what were the things that you that that you lean into the most with your time with uh, Bob Bradley? Certainly the uh, understanding the model, uh, because it's something <clears throat> that he and I discussed previously to way before the uh, concept of LAFC, the 
style of football, the ideas. Um, so it's something very much that excited me. Uh, and the reason why I coach is to play in a certain way. Um, there are many teams in our league that, no, I would not be interested in working with a way of playing. If it's not exciting, if you're not trying to score goals, um, then it's not for me kind of thing. Um, and so the idea of attacking with the front front three, six, seven, uh, and then staying up there, not allowing the other team to come out, uh, counter pressure, all of these things were things that immediately like in my head, pop said, yes, this is, this is what I want to be a part of. And this is, uh, the way, the way forward in my particular approach doesn't mean anybody else's approach is, is wrong. It's just, uh, and it was a perfect fit for LAFC, the city, the community that, uh, encapsules, uh, uh, a very entertaining way of playing. Uh, different things with Steve obviously doesn't have the the experience that Bob does, but just uh, it was really a seamless transition for you and, and Mark to to get into that collaborative approach with Steve. But what were the things that you wanted to make sure that um, you were best used in the in those roles in under the new regime? It was, uh, but it was very clear for me, and, and it was expressed through John and Steve uh, that I was the one to continue with the model that was established, even though it, it, we needed to evolve it in, in certain ways, maybe a little bit of a change defensively. Um, however, uh, that was really the thing that kept me here uh, at that point, because uh, if it was going to change to come something completely different, which Steve did not want. Uh, and he said, I want you to be here with the ball, the ideas when we're still attacking. Um, and so that made it quite simple for me to uh, to seamlessly navigate. And we and Mark and I have had a big job of helping Steve. Obviously, he had never been a part of the league. He had coached in, in, in USL, but uh, understanding the rules, the, the nuances of the travel, the times of the games, uh, all the little things that a, a new head coach in our league would come across. And so we have already been privy to it and seen it. And could kind of help guide him along with that, and uh, it was quite quite easy. Uh, obviously, he's a super bright guy, and uh, we had a very uh, it just clicked, and and the bond came together for the three of us with Oka, and we were able to uh, kind of continue the machine. I know it's very fulfilling, and I've spoken to you and some coaches where you see those moments where players take the coaching and taking a, a next step. Is there a moment or a player that? over your tenure and since 2018, you look at and say, that was, that's where we wanted him to go. And he, he grabbed the ring. You know, it's funny. Uh, and, and that, that likely should be a young player. Uh, but one guy I'm really proud of right now, I would say is Ilya Sanchez. And I know that might catch people off guard, but uh, down the stretch here. Uh, and I'm, and I'm pretty hard on Ilya, not in a, not in a way of where I don't think he's working hard how we want that position to be played, him opening up, receiving balls, playing forward. Um, it just shows a, a guy who's, who's done it all in our league, uh, a top player, and he continues to want to develop and get better. And he's constantly asking me, and I'm more than happy to give him information in the game, in training. And so uh, uh, seeing moments now where he does it, and, and now there's like this look in the game, he'll look over and we just kind of like smile and look at each other. And so uh, that's that's the point of coaching right there. You know, you have these little moments. Uh, certainly, you know, when Carlos was uh, chasing the greatest season in the history and 
there were times where I actually lied to him at halftime of games and said, Ibra scored already a hat trick. And they had <laughs> They haven't even started the game. They weren't even playing. He's, and he's like, he scored three. I go, he's got three already. And I mean, he could have looked on his phone and realized they weren't playing. I go, he oh. believed you though. He was like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it worked. whatever, whatever was needed at that time. And so, uh, you know, those were obviously uh, uh, awesome little moments to see. That's awesome. Ate. Thanks for sharing us. So that did fire him up. And that's the competitor that Carlos is. Uh, I want to talk about the Sounders because you've you've had a close look at them. You knew this club since uh, they've arrived and they have been the gold standard. And uh, LAFC, since they've arrived, these two clubs have been there at the top. That's what makes this game on Sunday, November uh, the 26th, so special. Uh, I want to start in 2019 because that was obviously a, a difficult night for everyone that witnessed the LAFC game. How did you process that, knowing that, it was the end of this incredible season and then obviously flicking the page um, to uh, hope that a moment you, you would arrive like the one you have in, on Sunday, the 26th. Uh, certainly probably the most difficult loss uh, in LA history for me um, in what was a perfect uh, season. Uh, but you also find out that in one-off games, anything can happen. Anybody can really beat anyone. Uh, we had just come off the emotional win over the Galaxy. Um, and so for me, I don't know if we recovered emotionally from that game, uh, but we also started the game and we took the lead. Uh, and it was just a few defining moments in that game where they were able to make a play or two um, where we couldn't, you know, make a defensive stop or make a save on a shot from outside the box. Uh, and we couldn't just uh, make a play on the other end to, to get a goal. And so we had we had a couple in the second half of that game where uh, Rossi's cross to Diamandi is behind him when it's a simple tap and things like that. You look at little moments. Um, yeah, it was a sudden and shocking end to them. Uh, probably the greatest game in Sounders history, I would say, that I saw them play. They were phenomenal that night, and they took every chance, and that's what you do. That's what a good team does, and they went on winning – MLS Cup that year. Uh, and so we knew that that game was for MLS Cup. Uh, and yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough night for sure to process. But again, this is uh, football and, and there are no guarantees. Uh, the Sounders have had the biggest win in the history between the two clubs. LAC have had more success overall, including recently, and you've had success going up there. This matchup, uh, how, how do you see it from the LAFC perspective, which gives you the confidence to be able to go up to Seattle and, and find a way to advance? Well, our group is confident. Uh, it's been a long season. Uh, it's like 272 games this year. Um, so, uh, <laughs> we, Are you being we, dishonest we, again? <laughs> we've gone up and down the ringer uh, for the entire season. We've got a group that uh, is experienced. Uh, we know what's waiting for us up there. Uh, we'll be excited and ready to go once we play this game in February. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's just now counting the days. There's there's just so many days in between, and it's uh, you want it to be here now because the players are ready, and they're ready from both sides. Uh, it, the schedule is what it is. It doesn't allow for it. And so, uh, you know, we, we know it's a big test. It's a massive test up there. It's a different venue. It's a different surface. Um, they have a big crowd, but I don't think – uh, you know, it's going to be one on the field. And so, again, can we make one more play than they do in this kind of game? I think it's going to be a heavyweight fight, uh, as it has been in the past, our history for sure. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, we feel if we can execute our model and, uh, and really come with really good intensity that we can win this match. Obviously we'd love it for to be at BMO stadium, but this is going to be pretty special. You're going to take a moment to look around. I mean, they, they can put in 35,000. I'm sure the upper bowl, they're going to probably get in the forties, but, uh, not playing on the turf's not ideal, but that stadium and those supporters, that's got to be a moment you're going to soak it in a little bit. Uh, not really. It's not something that, you know, we've, again, we've played in four championship style games this year already. Uh, I've been to that stadium when it's been uh, packed. And so it's a great atmosphere, but uh, we're going to be there ready to do our jobs. And uh, that is the main focus not to get caught up in the, the stadium and this, I know we'll have a nice contingent of people up there and we'll hear them, uh, but it'll be, it'll be a great spectacle for everyone. The coaches though, we are going to be focused strictly on one thing. Brilliant. Uh, it's, it's amazing. You say about the four finals, it's, it's incredible uh, experience and moments that you guys have had. And it, it, it's not far-fetched to say you played 272 games, although I know it's a little exaggeration, but sometimes probably felt like that when it was game after game after game. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we played a full MLS season, I believe, by the end of May. Yeah. So uh, at that point, <laughs> the shock to the system was real, and so uh, uh, it's it's it, it was like a it was like any any other season before because yeah, you just haven't played this many matches, and so how to deal with the periodization, the travel schedule, the training schedule keeping guys uh, fresh. Uh, there was a lot of things that you, uh, you had to balance. And so we're in a pretty good way, pretty healthy here heading down the stretch. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we're going to give her our best. Well, really excited about that game. I, I know I speak for everyone there. I know you guys are locked in about the result. We had a uh, Brian Dunseth on earlier. He said he wanted to re- see if you remembered. I know you do when you were at UCLA, he was at Fullerton. And then you said, I'm going to own you or something along those lines. And you went and scored two goals and two assists. Uh, I don't remember that, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Market, Ante, great to chat with you, and uh, best of luck on the next week, and happy holidays as well uh, with for you and yours. And uh, hope to see you and talk to you very soon. Thanks, Max. All the best, man. Uh, Ante Razov, assistant coach of LAFC. That wraps up a, a cracking show here of Inside LAFC. Rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. Get ready for November the 26th and spread the word. We'll join you next time on Inside LAFC. Ante with an exit stage right. Very well done.